0: Welcome back to Balagan. Israel's workers' union, known as Histadrut of Dim, was established by the socialist Zionists in 1920. Unlike worker unions abroad, its early days mission was greater than just worrying about workers' rights. Its political power was greater than any other union, and for many years it had many leverages to use when negotiating with the government. Its role in the establishment of Israel was unlike any other workers' union and has effects on Israel's economical structure until today. Along with my guest, we will tell the story of Israel's most influential organization outside of the government and, of course, the IDF. I'm happy to have today with me Professor Udi Manor of Haifa University. Professor Manor's main area of interest is political history of the Jewish people in modern times. He published 12 books, 50 articles, and is an acclaimed speaker. And I'm really glad to have him with me. Thank you, Udi, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, Udi, let's uh, go to the historical background. Who needed the Histadrut, and why did they form it? Okay, I think the very best clue is in the meaning of the
1: word, because we say his tadrut as if it was uh, invented by Shakespeare. It's a Hebrew word, which means literally an organization, as simple yes. as that. Okay, so his tadrut comes from the verb in Hebrew, seder, which means order. Right. So let's say the main goal of the founder of istadrut was to create an order or organization in order to achieve some goals. Okay. Now, order can be used for any kind of objective, so it's not the content, it's only title. In this very case, uh, we're talking about a Zionist organization, which uh, took itself as the um, genuine followers of the Herzl idea of creating a Jewish state in the land of Israel. I wouldn't use Palestine, I'm insisting on using the Hebrew term either Eretz Israel or the land of Israel, which is a translation because uh, otherwise people uh, might think that again that you know Palestine. So I don't want to go into yeah, no problem right now to <laughs> the politics. But let's start with the very basic uh, knowledge needed to understand the truth Let's say that we're going into the Wikipedia and we look under uh, Histadrut and we find that it was established on December 1920 by Jewish uh, workers. The most uh, famous one is, of course. David Ben-Gurion, but in that moment he was famous enough, but he wasn't still, you know, the utmost Jewish Zionist leader, which tells us a tale because the Istadrut was the playground, so to speak, of the political leadership of uh, Israel in the next 50 years, from 1920 or even more. Until 1977, we can uh, easily point out important leaders of Israel that were Born, politically speaking, in the Istadur. Okay, so let's go back to the background because 1920, this was the first year of the British Mandate and still not officially started in 1922. But let's say it's two years after the end of the Great War. And now the British government is ruling the land of Israel. And now it's the time of Zionism to create the conditions to have in the future a Jewish state. So the Stadout in from this point of view, was yet another tool. It wasn't the only tool, but yet another tool that became very important. But it was a tool to take part in this construction endeavor that uh, the British mandate was supporting. But the people that created the statute arrived to the land of Israel long before. Long, of course, in terms of personal biography. When Ben-Gurion was part of the founders of the Stadut, he was already... 33 years old. He arrived in the land of Israel about 14 years or 15 years earlier. And he was a young lad, as they say today. And he was part of pioneers. We call them in Hebrew, chalutim. Uh, we were talking about the second Aliyah. And those guys that came mostly from Eastern Europe were influenced by the new line of thought that was behind the creation of the Communist Party but not only in Russia, not only in Eastern or Central Europe, but also in Western Europe and also in the U.S. I should remind the American listener, for example, that in 1876, Henry George was close to win the elections in the New York uh, mayoral campaign in 1876, running upon a so-called socialist platform. So it wasn't the socialist idea or the left-wing idea or the equal rights idea. I don't want to use the word socialism because socialism is only one extension of this way of thinking. We can talk about the Garden Cities movement in England. We can talk later about the Fabian Club that was very strong in the 1920s. We can talk about the progressive period in the U.S. between 1890 and 1920. People like even Teddy Roosevelt with his uh, labor legislation, and of course Samuel Gompers with the AFL, and we have the Edward Bellamy, the 2,000 clubs looking backwards. So we're talking about a wave, a global wave of the um, thrive new ideas. We would new say. ideas thrive to make a better society based upon the industrial revolution, which most of right. the progressive wing all over the world, either in Russia being Stalin or Lenin, or in England, or in our case, Ben-Gurion, or Herzl, or whoever, took the Industrial Revolution in a positive way, but they said we should make it more equal, more just, so in our case. What is the big difference between, let's say, the American Federation of Labor that was created in 1882, or any trade union that was uh, becoming stronger and stronger in Western Europe, in France, and in England, okay, and the Institute? The difference is very big because either in the States or in England or in France, the Industrial Revolution was the outcome of the capitalist endeavor. So the workers were organizing vis-a-vis the Industrial Revolution, which they were using in order to you know, to have a better life, better housing, better food, whatever. Later, medicine, and of course, it's later work Jewish-
0: Sometimes, of
1: course, and that's why, for example, Samuel Gompers insisted he was the leader of the American Federation of Labor for years. He came from England at the age of thirteen. He was a Jew from Jewish origin. He came to the states when he was thirteen years old. He was rolling cigars. That was his job. And when he became the leader of the American Federation of Labor, he used a very simple slogan. Pure and simple, we are apolitical in terms of parties. We don't support either Republicans or Democrats or Progressive Party or the Socialist Party. We seek to have better working conditions, which means less hours, better working conditions in terms of security, and better pay. And that's it. On the other hand, we're talking about the statute, which is like the opposite. The statute from the very first moment said, okay, Sure thing, we want pure and simple, but in order to have pure and simple, we should make things that in this very moment are far from being simple because we don't have an industrial revolution in the land of Israel. And of course, we cannot be pure because we, on the one hand, are workers. On the other hand, we are Zionists, just like people, great leaders, for example, Weizmann. Chaim Weizmann was not socialist. He was the uh, first a science, president. First president of Israel, but before he was president, right? Okay, he was the important uh, second leader. The first one is Herzl, that died in 1904. So between 1904 and 1919, let's say or 1914, there is no big leader in, in, in the, the scale movement, of, of course. Right. And Weizmann, and he wasn't associate, socialist; was bourgeois from the bourgeois, and he became the ally of the labor Zionist movement. In the nineteen twenties was like a political alliance between Weizmann, who was a progressive in his thought, and the Istadwood people that were thinking that we should collaborate. Think that Gompers would collaborate with the American government in the time of the Great War, okay, in the in time of the preparedness, etc. But usually on a regular basis, Samuel Gompers would say. Okay, you do your thing, you're a capitalist, either you're producing a thing, you know, digging steel or iron, whatever, or you're working at the banking on Wall Street. We take care of ourselves, and if we need to go to a strike, we don't take into consideration national elements. In the case of this Tadrut, it was from the very first moment. On the one hand, we are workers, on the other hand, we are part of the Zionist endeavor to make a Jewish state for all, not only for workers. Now, let's talk about the background behind the creation, because I said before, the Ben-Gurion, again, I will use his name because it makes sense, people know him, yeah. and he was very important, very crucial in the creation of this Institute, in leading this Institute until the 1930s, and then when he became the head of the Jewish agency, he started to convince his own crowd to stop thinking about themselves in terms of class and to think about themselves in terms of nation, nation even though right. they were working under dialectic. But now he would say, no, it's not enough to work under this dialectic. Now he should give up the class notion and to adopt fully, okay, the nation. The concept, okay? Yes. So that's why later uh, people that... Uh, Are part of the left wing in Israel would blame Ben Gurion of ruining, and they still do
0: some of them. But eventually, what he did, he was using terminology to bring the socialist mindset into the nation of the establishment of Israel. Eventually, at 1948, right? That's right.
1: But uh, let's talk again, Samuel Gompersism. Okay, in terms of pure and simple, was giving up in the eyes of his critics, of course. He would say, no, I'm dealing with a much greater deal here. You know, in 1949, there were 240,000 Jewish new immigrants. So it's not a question of, you know, to tell them, okay, now we'll teach you a little bit of socialism or social democracy or labor concept, and then you'll join the Istadrut from the head. No, he said people are joining the Istadrut from the stomach because the people arrived to Israel with nothing, okay? Either if they came from Europe after the Holocaust of the Shoah or they came from North Africa, they came actually with nothing. So he took the things from another level. But again, we are ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to the historical line because one would say, okay, so if those guys that arrived in the land of Israel in 1903, 1904, 1905, until 1914, this is the famous second Aliyah, okay, so why it took them so long to make this route in 1920 what did they do in terms of organization let's go back to the term didn't they need order before 1920 so of course it's a rhetoric question of course they needed and they had an answer and the answer was political parties okay so we have two political parties one is which means the laborers of, 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 zion. of zion okay and then we have which is the young labor which is also Zionist but they don't mention the term Zion and then there are the third party which are the anti-partisans the people that say for example Tabenkin or, or the famous said, are you crazy you want to bring to the land of Israel the sick politics of the left wing in Europe every five persons gather and write new and slogans form yeah. and forming a new political party are you crazy we have here nothing and since we have close to nothing, our common ground is so wide, not only among ourselves as workers, but also with our employers are closer to us than any other two workers in, let's say, Manchester and Birmingham. The gap between them or in the States, the one that works in the, you know, in the sweatshop, labor West sweatshop yeah. or a labor in Henry Ford assembly line. It's like the rich guy and the poor guy. And here we all poor in the land of Israel. So why bother? But still, the people that invented the parties insisted. Now now we have our ideology because they have they were very idealistic and they have their ideology. And what is the difference between Polition and Apollo? The Politzian was more Marxist and the Politzer was less Marxist. And the third non-partisan party, they were called the non-party party. party. Okay? It was like a joke because they said no. We don't want to be part of either party. We're trying to convince you to be one block. Now, what is the one block? The Istadrut. The great success of the third group was able during the Great War when those guys joined the British Army. It's amazing. Now, there were three Jewish battalions, number 38, number 39, number 40, and most of the time they were doing nothing. Now, when soldiers are doing nothing, They either talk about, I don't know, house, missing their girlfriend, whatever, or in our case, we're talking politics. And they said, look, we were fighting among ourselves politically before the war. Now we are soldiers at the same army, with the same uniform, with the same goal. So why don't we keep it after the war? And so it was. And this is the background, but it's not such a happy end story because they decided... Because, you know, there were some stubborn people that said, no, 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 we don't have to make a total union because we are afraid of making a total union because they saw what happens in the Soviet Union that was under the spell of Of Lenin Lenin and 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 Stalin Stalin and Trotsky. So they said, no, no, no. Of course, they weren't even remotely like those uh, politicians that we mentioned their names because one very big difference the Stadrout never had the secret police. Okay, the only thing that they had was words. You know, they were making conferences every year, and then in 1925 they created their own daily newspaper, which was one of exactly. the most important newspapers in Israel until it was. And they also know,
0: had the Pincasa Adom, the red. Of uh, course,
1: the, the red, yeah. Again, you're putting here. I'm, I'm running
0: like, a, a bit. Yeah, you, you.
1: Yes and no, because. People who know something about the Institute would say, oh, this professor that you brought from Haifa is hiding the truth. What about the red, (laughs) how do you say, Pink booklet? Uh,
0: Yeah, the booklet.
1: Okay, but people that don't know would say, okay, what are they talking about? Okay, now, let's explain what was the Institute after it was created in 19... What were the goals? Back then, they were all over the land of Israel. We're talking about less than 5,000 workers. Workers. 5,000, and that's all, out of population of about, let's say, 90,000 Jews. Okay, one third of them, around 30,000, were Jews that were living in Jerusalem. Most right. of them from, you know, the old Ultra school, Orthodox, you know, the traditional yes. ultra-orthodox or whatever. So they weren't Zionist in terms of, you know, of political thinking. And, okay, there was Tel Aviv already, but it wasn't it a was big a city small back city. then. Very small town. And there were, of course, the moshavot that were created already in the first Aliyah the first. between 1878 uh, and 1900. There were about 20 Moshavot that were created in some 20 years, and there were farmers. So the laborers uh, the working force was working either there or they started to create their own famous Kibbutzim or Moshavim, like the that was established in 1910, or in Harod that was established in 1921, and uh, Nahalal, which is a Moshav, also in 1921, okay. We won't go into those details because it's too much, but just to make a little bit sense of what I was trying to say, there were 5,000 young pioneers, so to speak, most of them working either in cities or in moshavot, either in small factories or in the construction field because, you know, they were needed, or in the port, or some of them were teachers. And then there was like, let's say, of them, maybe less, that were living a socialist life or communal life, either in kibbutz, kvutzah, moshav, and so on. So the stadut was the tool to organize all those 5,000 and the very more thousands to come into a structure that would give them, now we're going to say, what was the purpose. So we already said that when we were making the comparison between the American Federation of Labor or any other syndicate in Spain, in the Sindicato General de Trabajadores. It's the same in France. Uh, I don't know how to say it. Anyway, any trade union in the world, they're working in established places. The statute was doing both things. So I repeated it and I guess uh, so, the listener already understood. So on, on
0: one understood. hand, yes. they gathered the workers and on the other hand, they made sure that in every workplace, you will have a union. So it was some sort of an umbrella organization, and they formed branches in every place. That's, That's what right. Saying.
1: No, I'm saying more than this. You were perfectly describing the union side of the coin. I'm talking about the other side of the coin, which was the institute as a constructor, as an entrepreneur. Okay. That's what I'm talking about as a capitalist, so to speak. So if by the Marxian or even any progressive, Henry George, whoever, okay, even later Keynes, anyone would say, okay, we have the capital and the workforce. And of course, we have knowledge and we have, you know, infrastructure, we have anything, you, know, you have the state, any, but in terms of a pure economy, we have the factory and you have the owner of the factory and you have the capital of the factory and you have the workers now this statute was was thinking, the owner yes exactly it was on the one hand owner on the other hand the trade union in the same place which is very very complicated now it wasn't necessarily like this because in some cases this statute was a part of let's say improving a land you know you have like an uh, arid land, which is not uh, cultivatable, and then you have to, you know, to invest work, usually with machines, and then you give it to someone else. So, it's not necessarily that they took their own workers into the very specific place, which makes the things even more complicated, which, for example, Istadrut was a part of the construction of roads, the infrastructure. What was the infrastructure used for in British Palestine? Now I can use Palestine because I'm talking about the British, but they yeah, needed the, the infrastructure Palestine. for the army, for the administration, for transportation, for anything. Yeah. So Arabs were building roads and Jews were building roads as workers and the British mandate was putting the money. But the Stadrut was a part of the constructors. <laughs> they were uh, offering themselves as the constructors, as the entrepreneurs. and okay. Let me have this section of the road. I am taking all the responsibility to bringing the soil, bringing the trucks, bringing the machines, whatever. Or another example is the quarries. You need material for construction so someone has to take it out. So they say, okay, we'll do it. So this way of thinking is the very, very basic notion of this to-do. Now, it doesn't end there. One thing, we are trade union. We are dealing with the pure and simple interest of any worker being in Japan, in Thailand or Argentina or in Alaska. Pure and simple. Two, we are taking a part of the construction of the land, being it with British money, our money, loans, whatever. We're going to get capital. In 1930, the statute creates also a bank. No more, no less. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's called the Bank It still Apolim. is. It still course, is, it still, it still is is the largest is. bank in Israel.
1: That's right, but doesn't belong to the statute. This is what right. we're going to talk about in our next meeting. Okay, what happened when Banka Polim, in Hebrew, everyone understands. Many people forgot. But the workers but Bank. Workers Bank, as simple as that. Now it belongs to one person, one family. Why? We're going to talk about it. Okay, this is something that happened in the 1980s, 1990s. But it's still a long way. But again, I'm trying. Explain the mindset that created an amazing structure. So we have trade union, we have entrepreneurship, we have finance. I mentioned before the newspaper, which is call it as you wish. Okay. It's a political factor. It's an educational factor. It's a cultural factor, which leads me to the most important thing after all those important things that I mentioned already. Okay. Which is all the social welfare care. The Estadrut was, in a word, a welfare state within a state. People who know the history of the welfare state know very well the history of the Beverage Report in 1942 in England. It was a liberal conservative that understood in 1942, during the Second World War, that the hundreds of thousands of British soldiers are going to come back home one day, hopefully after we won the Nazi regime. And they will want uh, housing, you know, and the healthcare and education for their kids, for the future kids, etc. and work. So he wrote a report that was published in 1942 that later was implied by the British government throughout the 1940s, 1950s, all the way until the era of Thatcher. And even Thatcher didn't touch the NHS. It's a national service. Okay, so why am I talking about the British beverage, etc. and Thatcher? Because the Institute was doing it Just like this, already in the 1920s, based on the same concept, on the same ideas, of course, with less power because it wasn't a state.
0: In a way, we can say that when the Istadrut formed all of its uh, branches and all of its structure, it eventually formed a state within a state.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about one of the most famous critics that wrote a very famous uh, article in Yiddish. Under the title, Yo Brochen, which is just like in English, Yes, Break. Yes, Break, it means Jabotinsky was calling his crowd, Zev Jabotinsky, the revisionist, the right-wing, he's like the godfather of Zionist left-wing, sorry, uh, right-wing
0: movement, movement, which later on was changed to the Likud.
1: Exactly. So, the revisionist. the revisionist, he became revisionist in terms of great politics, in terms of criticism against uh, Weizmann, because Weizmann was accepting the first white book of Churchill of 1922. So Jabotinsky, that was part and parcel of the Zionist leadership, didn't agree. And Weizmann was saying, OK, what can we do? We're not running here the show, either the League of Nations or British Empire, which is the greatest. We cannot set the rules. We are trying to influence but okay so this Jabotinsky, that started his independent political career in terms of greater politics vis-a-vis the mandate, he also developed in the 1920s a concept in the field of society and economy and he was a full-fledged liberal and he was against socialism and that's why he rejected the whole idea of this and that's why in the 1930s he told his crowd Break this. So how do you break this? It's not a bottle. It's not something from glass. You cannot right. shatter it. What was the idea? The idea was very simple. Okay. If this Tedrut, for example, is dealing with this or that owner of an orchard. These were the most famous stories in the 1930s. You know, Jews were hitting each other with, you know, not with guns, with thank sticks God, and, uh... but sticks and iron fists And was very violent around the workplace. The Stadut would go to an owner of an orchard which needed bed urgently to pick all the oranges because it was like the high season of export, the very famous Jaffa orange. Uh, and today it's a label. Okay. So Jews, Arabs, owners of orchards were making great money out of oranges, So they needed the labor. So the Stadut would come and say, okay, no problem. They were fixing the price, mutual expectations, everything is perfect. And Jabotinsky said, why? I mean, it's free market. Let the orchard owners or the workers strike the deal between themselves without the intervention of a third party, which is using, according to Jabotinsky, criticism, using its power, its monopoly on the labor market in order to become stronger politically. This is what was bothering Jabotinsky. Listen to the way I'm describing it in a very, very honest way, because I don't agree with Jabotinsky. Yeah. I think is no doubt that in the time of the creation of Zionism, when it was only in the beginning, what well, they said, that the market forces are not the tool to create the basic conditions for a Jewish state. But I'm trying to present Jabotinsky's point of view from his point of view. Okay, so where should we go from now? Just to sum up, because I wasn't putting my finger right. on the very specific things that Istadut was doing. The Stadrut was taking care when I was talking about the Bervier report, I mentioned healthcare and I mentioned education. So all those elements were part of the Stadrut. And they created schools and they created nurseries and they created also sport organizations. Yes. The famous Apoel. till today you can see Apol Tel Aviv, Apol Haifa. Apoel, Apoel. Apoel that, it's, it's important. Jerusalem <laughs> For you, yeah. Apoel. Now, the fact that uh, from that time only the color remained because people are changing. What well, This is part of, you know, the commercialization yeah. of sport. But never mind. Symbols are also important in our life, so we don't have to put them down. But anyway, from Istadrut's point of view, they had, for example, talking about sports, which is a very interesting theme always when I'm talking about Istadrut. I'm mentioning the slogan. They had a very beautiful slogan, Me alafim le alafim, which in Hebrew sounds beautiful. Yes. And I translate it from thousands, thousands, from the crowd to the, the champions. champions. Because Maccabi, which is the other side, we're talking about we should win. Yes. And who wins? Only the professional. And poll said, yes, winning is very important. No doubt. In sports, no doubt. There's no way to take this out of the equation. Okay, but we remember the very, very old slogan of our, of our wise, wise Jews. Yeah. No, I'm talking about the time of
0: the Mishnah. Nefesh Bria Beguf bari A healthy mind in a healthy body.
1: Exactly. And it was a Hellenistic uh, approach. notion. Approach,
0: yes. Of course, which was
1: adopted by Jews. Now this Tadrut is saying we should create tools in order to provide condition, in order to help people to have a healthy mind in a healthy body. That's why we don't put the emphasis on winning, but mm-hmm. in participating. Okay, another example, which is very strange, if you ask Samuel Gompers, okay, is had an editorial. They had Am Oved. They were okay. publishing books. It's amazing. Why did they publish books? I have here in my shelf. No, either way, you won't see me, but I have, until today, To publish the the
0: ideology, to promote it, just like the newspaper.
1: Yes, but not in a a Stalinistic form. No, it was more, I tell you why, because we know who ran both Davar and Amoved, Beryl Katzenelson, and he was until he died in 1944. He was an intellectual. Not only intellectual, he was an educator. He was an educator all the time, was thinking about Zionism, Beyond the big things, you know, creating uh, roads and settlements and economy and et etc. etc. Cetera, et cetera, We should educate ourselves to be good people, not angels, no, but good people. And good people are educated through sport and through work and through, of course, culture. And culture mm-hmm. means right. newspaper and publishing house. And even I remember as a kid, I remember that we were getting in Mikey Boots, movies there was movie department of this dude Amazing. they were saying okay people that lives in new york or in tel aviv if they want to see a movie they go to the movie big deal five cents and they see a movie but what can a kibbutz member that lives 100 kilometers from tel aviv do if he want to see a movie he can't so we'll send him a movie and the machine to put it and also lecturers People in Tel Aviv can go to the club and listen to a lecture about China or about Taiwan or about Russia or about Honduras, okay? The kibbutzman, the Moshav member that lives 150 kilometers, now we'll send him, we'll send him a lecture, we'll pay the lecture, he will go there and he will give the lecture and he will get a nice meal in the dining room of the kibbutz and he will come back. One more thing that the Tadut was doing, youth movement, To create the future uh, pioneers. The the next
0: generation, yes.
1: next generation of leaders. And the most important thing that I left to the end, because I don't want people to think of it as the most important thing, because when people are talking about Israel, they always talk about Israel in terms of wars, etc. Which is true. Israel is involved in a conflict. What can we do? Okay, But the Haganah. The Haganah was again part of the Stadut was another element of the Stadut. What is the Haganah in English? Defense. Defense. Then the word Haganah became the center word in the name of the IDF. Israel Defence Forces, Zvaha Haganah Israel, as simple as that. So summing up, we have the Stadut as a state within a state, not vis-a-vis or anti-British mandate or against the Arabs. No, it was in favor of the Jews that were coming by the thousands because right. of the Jewish Aliyah or Jewish immigration in the 1920s and then in the 1930s. And then when the state was created in 1948, of course, the they already had the
0: infrastructure around s- the state.
1: Exactly. And, and the same people that running the Estadout were running became the, the leaders. State. yes. But in 1948, a new chapter begins because the relation between now a Jewish state run by the same labor, Zionist ideology. Formally, and
0: yes. Formally, and the Stadut
1: formally. was a kind of... A it
0: was some sort of an executive branch and I would say it was holding all of Israel's infrastructure for many Not years later on. Not I mean, all. it held the main Kupat Cholim, Kupat Cholim yes. Aklalit, which was the main provider of health care for Israelis. It was holding up, as you said, (laughs) the youth movements, publishing. It was financing projects. It was actually the biggest for years until the 80s. I think it was the largest employer in the state of Israel. No, the largest employer was the state itself. Well, I mean, yeah, but it was a collaboration with with the yes, Yes. And they formed the largest companies at that time. Solel Boney, which was the biggest construction company in Israel, and the KUR, and all of the big factories around the young state of Israel. And that is definitely something that we will touch base in our next recording because it's so broad and you gave us so many details and it's not even 1948. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So, unfortunately, our time is almost up. So, we'll definitely okay. need to continue this conversation. I think it was very enlightening. You really brought up a lot of details, and it was amazing to hear that. You know, I see things in a different context now when it mm-hmm. comes to this. Tadrut. Okay. And Good. I'm really looking forward, Udi, to having you back again. Okay. With pleasure. So, thank you very much. Thank and you. Thank you for our listeners. And till the next episode, stay tuned with Balagan. Bye-bye. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, ltd for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day!